Today's sermon is going to be a little bit more interesting, a little bit more of connecting a lot of dots, which I just want to let you know and have told you before, is how thematical, topical type preaching works, uh, because otherwise we'd have to preach really short sermons for lots of really long uh, time throughout the year. However, I think having had the washing of the disciples' feet by Jesus read gives us a general gist as to where this message is going. Today we're going to see a couple different one another commands that I have lumped together because I feel like in order for the one that is to serve one another to take place, these other one another's have to be in place for us to properly serve one another. How many of you have heard a sermon telling you, you need to serve? Okay. Serving is a big deal. It's what pastors and teachers and every volunteer leader ever wants is for people to serve. And oftentimes you hear the words that you need to serve and then an immediate ask for you to sign up to do something, right? We need somebody to serve in the nursery. We need somebody to serve in Sunday school as a teacher. We need someone to serve by being a greeter or an usher. We need someone to serve and actually step up and be willing to be a deacon. However, that's not what the command in Scripture to serve actually entails. It is not to assign some sort of label to you and to get work out of you. That is not how serving works. Oftentimes I like to joke as I get to interact with mega churches and big churches when they're always asking for people to volunteer. I said, you know what? Solomon built the temple with slave labor and it seems like you're doing the same. Serving is not free labor. Okay? Just get that out of the way because it's a pet peeve of mine. Volunteering and taking people for granted and getting work out of them so that you don't have to pay someone to do it is not the essence of serving. Now, how do I so boldly say that on something that is going on the internet? I'm going to try and demonstrate today that the heart behind service is something greater and better than just saying, we need work from you, thank you for your free free work. So in order to get there, I have a couple of things we need to address, and the first one will probably surprise all of us. Uh, I will just throw it out there. Our first thing is to greet one another with a holy kiss. No one move. Don't start kissing people. Okay. All right. Thank you. Why, Caleb, why would you put greet one another with a holy kiss in your sermon today? Well, first of all, what other sermon am I going to put it in? Right? Okay. So throw that out there. Second of all, has to do with actually what greet one another with a holy kiss culturally meant and what it signified. And I think that it, it plays well with all of these commands. As we've seen, all of these commands flow backwards to the umbrella command to love one another. And so technically, we could probably throw this in whichever sermon I wanted. It just so happens that today is the one that I think helps us as we're contemplating as we are to serve one another. Now, kissing somebody is not the same as serving. So how do we get there, Caleb? Well, first, I want us to see that these commands, it's given four times, which is more than some of these other one another commands that we see and we harp on a lot. Greet one another with a holy kiss is given four times, and then a fifth one that doesn't exactly say to greet one another uh, in the New Testament. Often at the end of letters, 
um, most often by Paul, but Peter also tells us. So Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 20, 2 Corinthians 13, 12, and 1 Peter 5, 14. Now, all of those basically say pretty much the same thing. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, we can try and just wipe this off and say, like, yeah, we, our culture, we don't kiss, so, like, just don't do that. But there is something significant behind this holy kiss that I still don't think justifies us just bringing it back as a normal church-wide tradition, okay? So just throwing it out there so you don't think things are going to get weird all of a sudden. But what this holy kiss was, there's many things tied into it, but it was a long-standing Christian tradition even after the founding of the church. This wasn't just like the apostles and then the apostles died and then so did the tradition. This was a long-standing Christian tradition. And it was a greeting of one another, and as we've seen in uh, our previous message, an acceptance of one another. But there is something even more culturally significant uh, that is in, contained in these commands to greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, first of all, the tradition would be such that uh, very rarely would anyone of the opposite gender be exchanging a kiss, so it would be the same gender. And the act of kissing was a cultural norm of how you would greet one another. However, how the church broke cultural norms tells us what is so important. So, as you would greet someone of equal standing, you would kiss them on the lips. I know. I get it. It's really awkward. We don't want to do that, especially when it's same gender. I get it. But that's how it worked. When you met someone of equal standing, you kissed them on the lips as a hello. Now, if you're in tune with like French, you do kisses on both sides. However, in their day and age, kissing someone on the cheek meant that you understood that the person you were greeting was higher than you. But not by much, because someone that was so much higher than you, you would kiss their feet. So you would position your kiss based on the status of the individuals exchanging, which I know is weird for us here and today. But the tradition that the church started was to accept everyone as a brother or as a sister, which meant that they were on equal footing. In fact, many times in the New Testament, we are told that we are not to favor those who are wealthy or powerful and that we are not to look down upon those who are poor or are slaves and not having much at all. This Christian practice in the beginning also reiterated this. This was the first thing that took place when someone arrived at a church gathering. It was that everyone showed up and greeted each other as equals because Christ had accepted them. Now, if you read through church history, you understand why this practice was uh, more or less left by the wayside. Uh, it did... Uh, lend itself to some scandal in the church, uh, not just between individuals, but there was some issues where people were kissing people and then, oh, that was nice, let me kiss them a second time. And it was clearly not a Christian greeting. Pastors had a hard time with that. But then, alongside with uh, that, because Christianity was viewed as a, like a, a weird thing and that was... Uh, pitched more like a cult than anything in the Roman Empire at the beginning, 
people were noticing that when Christians got together, they were kissing each other at the lips at the door, and they're like, and then they would close the door, and they're like, oh my, what are these religious people up to? I mean, if they're willing to have a public display of affection with complete strangers at the door, what are they doing back behind those doors? To which many church fathers had to reply and explain, which is why we now know why a holy kiss was a thing. Now, that all being said, the here and today, the kissing greeting is not a typical cultural norm. Part of the reason I would propose this didn't come from anyone, so this is just me, my own contribution to the topic. Part of the reason for us here in America that this is not a thing is because our society has done its best, which doesn't mean it's perfect, but its best work to try to establish that all people are created equal. So therefore, all of our greetings are designed that way. Doesn't mean that there aren't abnormal ones, but we look at them and say, boy, that's weird. When the Pope comes to town and you see someone reach down and kiss the ring, when you see someone curtsy before the king or queen, we think, boy, is that ever weird. Because here in America, we've been establishing our identity as we are all equals. So it is a much more cultural norm for us to think of us, each other, that way. Now, don't reveal your terribly proud heart if this is you. But I don't think many of us showed up to church today saying, I'm the big dog in the room. Everyone should greet me as a superior. Nor did many of us come and should not, in case this is, again, how you feel, should not feel, boy, I'm the lowest dirt that's ever come to the church here. I, be I better sneak down and crawl on the floor so no one notices me. This Christian practice of greeting one another with a holy kiss was a way to condition the Christian heart to see each other as equals and not as a social standing that took place outside in their public world that here at church, here in the kingdom of Jesus, we are all equal. So, here in America, although handshaking is not the same, it doesn't even communicate the same, but if you think about it, you look someone in the eye and you shake their hand, you are accepting them and you are saying, hey, you are worth my time. Now, here in America, we do that for almost everyone, except people we hate. <laughs> but that is what is going on. And why is this a thing that is important to our topic here today is that it demonstrates love and mutual standing. This is very important for us as a church community to see each other as equals, regardless of if you've been, uh, I almost said married, but regardless of if you've been a Christian for 50 years or for five days, we are equal citizens of the kingdom of God. We are brothers and sisters. There is a family-type relationship that belongs here. And it should be such that anytime someone is acting outside of that norm, it should be weird. It should be like, hey, why aren't you talking to that person? Or like, why aren't you willing to say hi? Like, those behaviors should stand out in the church because we are to demonstrate love and a mutual standing. Now, I'm going to move off on that because I feel like we did a whole sermon on loving one another, accepting one another, and this plays into that as well. well. Why we have to start there is because in order to serve one another biblically, 
we have to first see each other as equals, and then we have a choice to make to do something with that. So, first, I would say that we, besides just demonstrating love and mutual mutual standing, we are also called to demonstrate humility and respect. Now, in the Bible, you will often see this referred to as honoring one another. My key verse for this is Romans 12, verse 10. You may turn there if you want to. I'm just going to use just the small part of it uh, because we've already done Romans 12 twice in this sermon series because it has a lot of one another's in it. Here, Paul says, to honor one another above yourselves. That's from the NIV. To honor one another above yourselves. Now, this phrase obviously has some uh, text, uh, interpretation and, and uh, translation uh issues here where we're trying to get the the sense of what the greek words here are so for example the king james says in honor preferring one another which i really love because i've always said in christian liberty discussions we're always like well defer to the weaker brother no you're actually preferring them and i think i've stood on that soapbox before and if you haven't heard me talk to me after i'll stand on it again but in honor preferring one another show enough respect for another person to do something for them. Then in uh, the CSB, HCSB that I like to use, it says take the lead in honoring one another. So take the initiative. Like you, the individual listening to this right now, regardless if anyone else does it, take the lead and showing honor to one another. And then one of the ones I think is uh, speaks really well to Americans in the ESV, which many of you probably are using if you're using the Pew Bible today, is to outdo one another in showing honor. Literally, it's like a challenge. Someone shows you honor, try to show them more honor. Someone respects you, show them more respect. Be the best at showing respect to one another. And that gets to our competitive spirit, where I'm going to outdo everyone in this church at showing honor. Now you have to be worried about the whole pride aspect, which is why humility is tied into this as well. But as Christians, as a community that is seeking to love one another, we have to demonstrate respect for each other, not just that we are on equal footing. That seems like a really good thing, right? And here in America, like I said, we tend to already buy into that as a cultural norm. I'm not better than anyone else. Everyone's equal, right? But... Just because we're equal doesn't mean that we show each other respect. It doesn't mean that we honor one another, that we take each other into consideration when we say things, when we do things, when we offer things, the way we speak to one another. We don't always show honor. And the call here for Christian believers is to be the kind of person that takes the lead in honoring each other. Now, I have a longer passage and then a shorter passage um, that says a very similar thing. So if you would like to join me in Luke 22. Luke 22, and then we will be in verses 24 and following. This also is an account of the last day of uh Christ's life here on earth, uh, told by Luke, and our scripturing was from John. We'll get back to John uh, later. Luke 22, verse 24. 
Then a dispute also arose among them, the disciples, about who should be considered the greatest, who should be the most honored, who should be given the most respect. But Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles dominate them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For whoever who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are the ones who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So even before the whole church thing got officially started, the disciples are arguing because they feel like Jesus is bringing in his kingdom, so... When Jesus does, which one of us is going to be the greatest? Which one of us gets the best seat? And Jesus says, you guys have it all wrong. He addresses multiple things. He doesn't address them in this order. But the first thing is, um, it's my kingdom. So who do you think is the greatest? It's mine. God gave it to me. So let's get that straight away already. I'm the king. Okay? But if you're worried about who gets to be second in charge, here's the problem. In my kingdom, it doesn't work like all the other kingdoms you've experienced. In the kingdom of heaven, those who humble themselves and serve are elevated. Those who seek to be elevated are cast down low. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So, in order to honor one another and receive honor from one another we have to be thinking about our honor our respect in the terms that the kingdom of heaven operates and then uh matthew 23 verses 11 and 12 i'll just go ahead and read those quick jesus also says that the greatest among you will be your servant whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Before we even get to the act, the actual doing, the action of serving one another, it requires a proper mindset. We're all on equal footing. We've demonstrated that in love and mutual standing. We are all equal. However, we are going to take the lead in showing each other respect, elevating people higher than ourselves. We talked about that as in Philippians it says that you need to consider one another more than yourself. We show honor to each other by lowering ourselves, not by raising ourselves up. We're all on equal footing. Jesus accepted us. But the way that this works out is we have to have in our mindset, this person is accepted by Jesus and I am going to do what I can to lower myself to serve them. And the question is, why in the world would we want to do that? Because if 
you know, especially for us as Americans, we're all equal. We got that. But then why would I want to elevate someone higher than myself by lowering myself? Wouldn't all of us rather be the one that's being elevated and letting other people lower themselves? Well, so would the disciples, which is why they were arguing. Well, who's going to be the greatest? Which one of you is willing to, like, I feel like I'm, I probably beat out that guy when I think Peter's near the bottom, you know. Like, we all have this way of thinking. And that way of thinking leads to people who are, are in authority, who are in charge, who look down on the people that they are leading. But Jesus said this in Luke 22. Who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? He says, who's greater, the one that's hosting the party or the person providing the food service? For us here in 2023, think about it in terms of a sit-down restaurant. Who is the most important person in the dining experience for the company? The server or the customer? The company cares about the server like a little bit. Enough to pay them, enough to give them training, try and provide some level of support. But the company cares more about the customer than the server because the customer is the one that's giving the company money that can then pay the server. So there is an inequity in the way that the company views that. Who is greater, the one running the the plates back and forward from the table or the one sitting and eating? Just clear, in that situation, the person sitting and eating. Obviously, he's not talking about uh, like Olive Garden when he's talking about this, but the principle still applies. The server is lower than the person they are serving. However, what's interesting, he says, he says, it's, isn't it the one at the table to which we'd all be like, yeah. But then he says, but I am among you as the one who serves. Here you all are sitting at the table. And who gets up? Me. To serve you. Which leads us into uh, our scripture reading as well. You can turn over to John 13. So we need to demonstrate humility and respect by considering ourselves lower than someone else in order to serve them, to provide for their needs, in order to support them. Jesus says that he was here to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us as well. So then, ultimately, if we understand these Christian character traits and commands for us to do for one another, where we consider one another more important than ourselves, if we show respect to one another and we accept one another and understand our proper standing, what it leads to is humble service. This is what Jesus did in John 13, verses 12 through 17 specifically. We won't reread them all because we just read them for our scripture reading. But Jesus, at the Last Supper, when he knows he is going to be betrayed and he is eating his last meal with his friends, they all sat up to eat and they realized nobody had done the cultural appropriate thing to wash the feet yet. Now, we'll get into the details of foot washing. Why would they be washing their feet? This seems like a weird thing to do. Well, they didn't have closed-toed shoes. They had open-toed shoes. They walked on dirt roads. Feet get dirty. 
In fact, I love this because uh, in the part that we read for our scripture reading, uh, Peter's like, hey, uh, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, well, if you won't let me wash your feet, then you can't be friends with me. And then Peter's like, fine, then give me a bath. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, you already had a bath. Like, the only thing that's dirty is your feet. <laughs> that's the only thing you have to wash, which tells us a little bit about the cultural significance of washing feet. It wasn't because people were filthy. It was because their feet got dirty from their walking around because they didn't wear closed-toed shoes and jump in their car just to go a mile. They walked with sandals, and their feet got dirty. And aside from that, they didn't sit in chairs. They sat down like on their side with their feet in other people's faces. So you would all want their feet to be washed. <laughs> Yet somehow they all sat down, and nobody had washed anyone's feet. And you know what? You know we, we like to give people... Jesus specifically told these disciples to go get the feast ready, so technically, sure, culturally, they're the ones hosting the thing, even though it's not at their place, so they should have done that or provided someone to do that. But I think the worst part of this in my head is that nobody washed their own feet. Like, it's one thing that nobody was willing to say, like, I will wash everyone's feet. But no one even took personal responsibility to wash their own feet. I get it. That's not the cultural practice. But if you are going to do not the cultural practice, why not do the one that says, like, here's a bowl of water, everybody wash their own feet? The disciples hadn't yet corrected their idea of greatness and serving. Because even if they had moved the needle a little bit, they would have said, hey, nobody else needs to serve me. We're all on equal footing. How about I wash my feet, you wash your feet? But they didn't even do that. They all sat up to dinner with dirty feet in each other's faces, waiting for someone to say, oh, I'll serve everybody. And they did that. You know what? Jesus got up. And, you know, the whole action, he took, took his robe off. Nobody stopped him. And we said, oh, we forgot. Jesus, sit down. Peter, he came the closest where he's like, uh, he says, you will never wash my feet, ever. You know, because Peter's so humble. And Jesus said, if you don't, if I don't wash you, then you have no part with me. And then Peter said, well, not only my feet then, but also my hands and my head. Jesus lowered himself, not just to the point of foot washing. He didn't just in this moment lower himself below his friends so that they could have a nice supper together. He lowered himself when he came from heaven to earth. Jesus had already demonstrated his humility and already demonstrated his care and respect for the needs of others before this point. People who humble themselves, who lower themselves, even in agreement with what the status technically is, will end up leading by serving humbly someone else. Jesus did that in coming from heaven to earth. Now he's on earth and he's humbling himself to wash people's feet whom in about 24 hours from now he will be hung dying on a cross so that they can inherit eternal life. And here he is, hours before he gets arrested, washing their feet, because nobody else could be bothered to serve one another with humility and with respect. 
So then Jesus, in verses 12 through 17, tells the disciples after he gets back to the table, he says, do you guys realize what, what I just did for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and that's good, because I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If me, your rabbi, and your Lord do this for you, you should do it for each other. There is nothing too low for Jesus to do to show his love for his people. Bending over, washing people's filthy feet, dying on a cross, being forsaken by all of his friends, nothing was too humiliating for Jesus in order to demonstrate his love. And in fact, it is by his humility and his service that we now know for sure Jesus' love for us. John 13, verse 1, at the end, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Even after having a wash of their feet, because nobody was willing to serve each other. So he says, listen, if I'm going to serve you guys, why don't you guys learn to serve one another? Paul picks up this, and Peter also picks this things up, as it relates to the church, that if we are going to follow after the example of Jesus, Jesus says that those who will be great have to first humble themselves and serve. And this is the great call for the church, is that as a community, as Christ's body, that we have to serve each other. And God has given us gifts in order to serve each other. 1 Peter 4, 10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as, God, as good stewards of God's varied grace. And then uh, Galatians 5 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Luckily for us, our study school class is helping us along these paths as well. But in order for us to serve one another, these things have to be true. First, we have to understand that no one is beneath us who should instinctively be serving us. In the church, in God's family, we are equal. There is nobody around you that ought to be serving you because you're so special. You're not. You're not any more special than anyone else in the room. People don't exist to serve you. Yet so often we hear Christians saying, well, my needs just aren't being met, or this person isn't doing what I need. And you know, it's fair. That, that could very well be the case. It might not be happening. But there is not a single person in the church who is by nature and by God's design beneath you who ought to serve you. We are all equal. So then, if someone lowers themselves in order to serve you, they are doing that out of love and humility 
that was demonstrated by Jesus. We should not expect any individual group of people or class of people to serve us. So then if we have ever seen or experienced someone serving us, then we should be rightly understanding that we don't deserve that. Someone serving us is not something that is our right. It is a privilege that we can accept and then do for each other because there is no one who is beneath us or above us other than Jesus. And Jesus didn't think that serving was beneath him. We must serve one another. Now, I think the biggest problem probably for us as Americans when it comes to serving is that innately with the words of serving and service, it means that we have needs. We don't like to receive acts of service, some of us. Some of us thrive on it, and we'll talk about that in a second. Some of us really don't like when people come and serve us because what it does is it, it eats away at us inside and realizing that someone saw something that I didn't have, that I needed, and it bugs me because here in America, we're independent. We don't need anybody else. We can just take care of it ourselves or even just in our own family, our own households. Like Nobody from outside needs to do anything for us because we have it. We don't have needs that need to be met by someone else, which is pride. To think that you and your family, your friends, have it all together, that you don't need anyone from outside of that helping you. We all have needs. We're needy people. But then sometimes people really thrive on getting acts of service. It's like their thing. They really love it. People have always giving them stuff, always treating them to things, trying to solve all the person's problems. And yes, we all need that level of support. But these people also think that out of practice, it's what is rightfully theirs. Because so many people are doing it. If everyone that they know is willing to serve them and do everything for them, then they get this elevated feeling, which is also pride, in thinking that other people owe it to them. And if you get one that's interestingly enough connected enough to the church, they'll use this verse to serve one another or bear each other's burdens as an excuse to demand something from someone else. Well, when you think about it, we as Christians really aren't that much more dignified than the disciples. Because whether we come to church thinking, I don't have needs, or we come to church thinking everyone there needs to meet my needs, we come with dirty feet. And we don't take care of our own feet. We just show up with dirty feet. And although it affects everyone around us, we're waiting for someone to wash our feet. Well, thankfully, Jesus has already paid for our sins. He put cleanses us from our unrighteousness. And so if we need someone to wash our feet, Jesus is always there to wash our feet. 
But if the church is going to be like the kingdom of Christ, it ought to be filled with people who lead by serving, not by elevating themselves, not by saying, who is going to be the greatest? How do I get an advantage? How do I become more influential? Jesus says the way you do that is by looking at people who are equal to you and saying, I will lower myself in order to serve them. I will put my own needs and wants to the side for a short time in order to meet someone else's needs and wants and help them. Serving one another is an important thing that we as American churches are severely lacking. And notice how less helpful culturally it is to tell you that that is the heart of biblical service than to say, I need you to serve, so here's a sign-up sheet. Put your name on it. I mean, I wish it was that easy. Maybe we could try that. If we're really that bad at it, maybe we could try it. Okay, who are the people serving next Sunday who just put their own needs aside in order to look out for the needs of others? So put your name on it, and then next week you get a week off. But this is not the heart of biblical service at all. The kind of service that Jesus had and the humility that he had said, I know, Jesus wasn't even equal. Jesus was like, I know who I am. I'm the king. He wasn't even equal with the disciples. He had to lower himself like two different stages. But we as his followers left here on earth in his church, we are called to humbly serve one another and to be leaders at it, to literally try to outdo one another at doing it out-serving each other to the point where we're all like crawling on the floor. Not literally. But we don't like it. And I know some of us, like myself, grew up in church plenty where we heard about servant leadership and all this stuff. And so we, we've actually convinced ourselves that we do like it, even though we don't. We talk a good game, but so often when it comes up, we will either, one, not share or ask our needs of anyone. I don't have needs. I don't need your help. Well, that's too bad because you just put people here to help you. So whether you want to admit you need it or not, you do. Or we'll look at someone who has a need, but then say my need is greater than their need, so I can't lower myself and serve them. We have a real hard time with this. Myself included, okay? All of us probably have a hard time with this. But it is at the root of what it means to actually, in action, love each other is that we look at each other and say, how may I help you today? And I have an issue. I have a problem. Can you help me? And by participating in that, we participate with Jesus in his example to serve one another, to wash one another's feet, to take charge in showing honor to one another 
and demonstrate our love and our mutual standing to one another, this ought to be how we behave. To look on the interests of others more than ourselves and to trust that God was wise enough to provide someone else in our community that is willing to do that for ourselves as well. We can do it for one another, a mutually beneficial relationship where I might help someone, and that person might not directly help me back, but someone over here is going to help me. And this person is going to help someone else, and as we do it together, our needs will be met, we will show each other honor, and we will picture Jesus to ourselves, to each other, and to the world. If we just are willing to abandon our pride and become humble, and realizing we don't have it all together, I have people around me that can help me, and I am around so I can help one another as well. Dear Father, we thank you for your Son who provided our salvation and also provided us the pathway of a good life, one that is satisfying and one that is also glorifying. And we pray that you would help us as we wrestle with our internal nature of who we are to get us to the point where we're humble enough to serve one another, to serve people who are our equals, to lower ourselves, to provide help, support, to meet needs in order that we can demonstrate Jesus to each other and to the world. Pray that you would use your spirit to enable that in us this week as we go from church today, as we go home, help us to look with eyes that says, how may I help instead of who's out going to help me? Help us to do that as we go to work this week. Help us as we do that as we drive this week. Help us do that as we come into contact with other believers and help us to do that here in church, to be looking out to help meet one another's needs, to serve with humility, we pray that that would be a thing that would honor you and based on your promises that you will exalt the people who are willing to humble themselves below those who are their equals. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.